Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and figure out what other movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are doing something we have never done before, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, You may have heard last week's episode with Kristen Lopez, where we talked about Serenity, a completely bonkers, ridiculous film noir style movie starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Um, and this movie is just so polarizing and so just crazy that we're going to do a second episode on it. Um, obviously, I already did all my puzzle pieces on the first episode. So really, it's more of uh, another guest coming on with his puzzle pieces. Uh, with me today is Joe Black, who you heard on the A Star is Born episode a few episodes back. And uh, Joe actually loved Serenity, like non-ironically. So when he told me that, I was like, we're going to have to talk about this movie. So before we get into the conversation, I do want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. Also, you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And you should join our Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group, where we have all kinds of conversations about movies, including Serenity. And that's actually where I met Joe. And uh, I might actually have another new guest lined up that is somebody I met in the group. So it's an awesome place to have conversations and uh, hopefully get more people involved with the show. So without any further ado... Let's get into another hour of talking about Serenity. And as I said last time, uh, it would definitely be in your best interest to have seen the movie first because we are going to spoil any and everything about it. Uh, It's kind of hard not to when talking about this movie, but I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, so back on the show with us today is Joe Black, who you heard back on the A Star is Born episode. I'm glad to have him back. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. So on this past Friday, we did an episode on Serenity, which uh, despite me kind of making fun of it and uh, saying that it's not necessarily a good movie, it's still my favorite thing I've seen in the theater this year. I mean, it is, uh, it's kind of a blast wh- whether you like it or not. And I'm glad to have you back because you 
straight up liked this movie and um you know not ironically it seems and i uh i i want to hear your thoughts you know i think this is going to be a lot of fun getting this is the first time we've ever done this on the show a second episode dedicated to one movie um but when you said you liked it i was like let's do this Oh wow! Well, I'm honored, and I'm I'm glad that Serenity was the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Because I, I can't think of a better movie to spend a second episode on. <laughs> yeah. Um, after, after I saw Glass, I was like, "Man, how's any movie gonna top that for me this year?" And then one week later, <laughs> like, oh, there, there she goes. We, we sure had a big January, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know. We, we on the first episode we we got into a lot of this movie. I mean, we talked straight up into the spoilers. We 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 talk about the twists, the turns. Uh, we had quite a few puzzle pieces, and I'll you know I'll mention some of them as we go along. Uh, but you know, why don't we just start off with because you know obviously we've talked about this movie a little bit on the show already. Why don't we just start off with your initial thoughts on this movie and what it is that you liked about it so much? Okay, yeah, uh, you know it's so funny. Um... When I was when I left the movie, all I could think of were all the uh, quote unquote puzzle pieces. Having done your podcast last time, because I was like, I'm going to ask him if I can be on that one because I was, you know, <laughs> and, and the the pieces that were coming to mind were like the Matrix Revolutions, Aloha, Gone Girl, The Lone Ranger, movies like that. Um, it was a uh, what I what I <laughs> I think very rarely do we ever get a chance to see not only a big budget uh hollywood film but a big budget hollywood film with a-list actors all kind of at the top of their game really marrying into something as like insane as this movie like like the the premise alone is just so bananas that um you know initially when people were like giving the spoiler away of like what happens in the movie i was like no don't do that don't do that don't do that it's so but then i realized (laughs) right it's so true. There's so many spoilers out there on this movie. And yeah, a lot of these reviews and a lot of these people online are giving away the spoiler, the big twist that it's, you know, this video game designed by this 13 year old boy to keep himself from killing his abusive stepfather, which mm-hmm. first of all, I mean, awesome. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, it was upsetting me at first that people were giving away the spoiler. I'm like, Oh, it's such a cool discovery, blah, blah, blah. But then I started to think about it and I was like, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, uh, I mean, I know that I like weird, weird things. Like I know that I, I know that I kind of get more excited about it. I've just, I've seen so many movies and I've made, you know, my own share and I, like, I get very bored very easily, even by good movies, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and, uh, and so when this started in 30 seconds in, we've gone into a kid's eyeball across the ocean at a hundred miles an hour to, you know, a tense scene where Matthew McConaughey is trying to fillet a man on his boat for trying to catch a tuna. Like, I was just like, all right, uh, okay. They and say I, the word tuna in this movie quite a lot. Yeah, I've never well, heard the word tuna said so many times. It's about obsession. But <laughs> that's true. Fine. But, but, but like, you know, like, when, when you're a minute into the movie and this, this shit's going on already, I'm like, hmm... And you know it's interesting when I saw the trailer for this movie. The reason I saw the movie was I saw the trailer and I went, I don't think they're showing us the movie. Like there was something about the trailer that I was just like, they're hiding something. I don't think they want us to know just how strange this movie is. They don't know how to sell it. Right. And uh, about a minute in, I was like, so I'm right, maybe, or it might just be bad. 
And then, I don't know, as it went on, it never broke from that strange, from that, from that otherworldly kind of gonzo energy. And then once the twist got revealed, I was like, oh, shit, now it <laughs> makes sense. And I was all, and, and, and once you know that the movie is from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy's imagination, the tone, the story, the acting, the inconsistencies, which are consistent in themselves, like all of that starts to make a lot of sense. You know, and and I almost wonder that if people go into this knowing that this is supposed to be a video game made by a 13 year old boy, I almost wonder if you kind of now have a uh, now are are prepared in a way. Um, You know, you look at a video game. I mean, I don't play a whole lot of them, but like, you know, you look at a video game. And the storyline in video games, people really get into the storylines these days, right? Sure. But if you But if you saw that storyline in a movie, you'd be like, mm, what? You know, yeah. like, you'd be like, that's pretty lame. Same thing with television. Everybody talks about how, like, television is, like, in this new golden era. And I'm like, eh. You know, if you saw cinematography in a movie that looked like that, or acting in a movie that was like that, or special effects in a movie that was like that, even the precious Game of Thrones, you'd be like, I couldn't agree uh, more. Yeah, it's absolutely. It, there, there, there's this big push for TV as the new, the new uh, gold standard of of storytelling, and I just, I don't, I don't see it. I, I mean, I see the benefits of it. I, I see, and I like the idea of. I like what it's saying about, um, about how I like what it's revealing about audiences and what it's revealing about just people that. Um, you know, again, we're taught in this era that like there's no attention spans and that you got to get them in, and get them out. You know, you got to. But like, what people are slowly saying to the world is like, well, we you can give us, you know, like intricately woven long form narratives with multiple characters and and like storylines that are you know that all come together and pass like ships in the night. You know, like I like that. I like I like that aspect of television. I don't yeah. think I personally don't think the production quality is there. And I don't think that the, you know, and, and that is something that Netflix and it has actually given us, which is, you know, actually Jordan Peterson was talking about this um, and, and how like, even before with regular television, they only expected us to be able to handle 22 minutes. Sure. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, and now we're showing them that like, sometimes we'll sit there for, you know, 10 hours if it's, if it's compelling. Um, but back to back to Serenity. So I'll add Netflix as a puzzle piece to this movie. Um, okay. Uh, no, I won't. I was kidding. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but but we anything's possible with this movie. So <laughs> that is true. Oh, but isn't that beautiful? Like yes. you know, you go to like the new J Lo rom com. Nothing against that hack, but like you know, if you like it, man, rock and roll. But this movie, sure. it's so <laughs> we'll be talking more about J Lo in a minute, okay. or at least I will. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so again, so bring it all back. So this movie is from the perspective of a 13 year old boy playing a video game, trying to, you know, keep himself from killing his abusive stepfather. Okay. So a 13 year old boy has no idea what it's like to be, um, what it's like to be a man. Like that's mm-hmm. just not something that 13 year old boys understand. Um, and, uh, and I do like how, like, it almost is like a tribal kind of aspect that he, a hero worship that he has of his father. Like, it's really interesting. Um, 
but he's smarter than that. So that's why his father is so complex and resistant to him. So um, I want to start, if you don't mind, with Lone Ranger, um, the Johnny Depp Army Hammer movie. Um, Are you a fan of that film? Um, you know what? I never actually saw it. All the bad reviews kept me away from the theater, and then I, I'm pretty bad at catching up. You know me. Yeah. I, I watch most yeah, yeah, of my yeah. movies in the theater, so I Absolutely. never did see it. Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. I'd say that that's a real shame, actually, um, mm. because a lot like Speed Racer, time is already kind of starting to tell on that one, where right, people are already right. starting to come around. Um, when I saw it in the film, or when I saw the, when I saw the film, when I saw it in the theater, uh, I, I just, I loved it, top to bottom. Gore Verbinski, to me, is one of the most exciting filmmakers because he either hits home runs or he hits pop flies that are so foul they hit an audience member and kill them. Sure, like he, <laughs> that you know, makes sense. Yeah, like <laughs> Lone Ranger was one of my favorite movies of that year, and I couldn't even finish A Cure for Wellness in the theater. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I, and that, that's exciting for me. So, um, so in The Lone Ranger, the, the construct of the narrative is it's a little boy. He's like, you peg him at 10 at the oldest. He's like walking through like a World's Fair and he sees what he thinks is a, a mannequin display of Native American life, but it turns out to be just like a 120-year-old Tonto um, who's like kind of loony, right? Mm. And Tonto tells him this story, the origin story of The Lone Ranger. And... Um, one of the big problems that people had with the movie critics, I should say, because you know everyone I know actually kind of likes the movie, and that and that's not a generalization. It's just I've never met anybody that knows doesn't like it. Um, right, right. He, uh, they had problems. Critics had problems with the tonal shifts. How like there's a particular scene about halfway through the movie. It's more toward the end of Act Two, where an entire tribe of Native Americans is brutally slaughtered in violence that like borderlines on R rated, you know, like it's very violent, this slaughter. And then in the very next scene, we're getting like almost like Abbott and Costello were the, you know, gags like pratfalls and stuff like that. (laughs) And yeah. So like a lot of people had problems with the tone, but think about this. And, and, and I give Gore Verbinski the credit, the, the benefit of the doubt here. The movie is Tonto telling it to a little kid. And Tonto is a Native American. And the story, that part of the story is of his people being killed. So when he tells the story, that's going to have the most conviction, the most anger, the most sadness, the most resentment. It it was, you know what I mean? It's traumatic for him, you know? So Mm. it's going to be traumatic. And when you accidentally get caught up in your whatever and you scare a child when telling them the story, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, you you, you try to soften it a little. Yeah, you, you're like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, so, like, just in, in those two scenes juxtaposed, I go back and I watch the whole movie, and you realize the tone of the story always fits the way that a 120-year-old side character in this story with a Native American perspective would relay it to a little boy dressed as the Lone Ranger. <laughs> like, it is so married to that idea that, like, it's not normal. It's not a normal movie. You know what I mean? It really isn't. And it actually, and so I, starting off with Serenity, one of the trappings, I'll even call it trapping, of a movie like Serenity is that if that's going to be your premise, if that's going to be the world that we're in, then you better own up to it. And you can't, you can't compromise. Otherwise, then the whole movie is a mistake. That's why I don't buy into this uh, idea that the movie is so bad that it's good. 
Now, I know what a lot of people mean when they say that. I, I understand what they mean. I personally don't like to say things like that. I also don't like to talk about, um, uh, how do you put it? I don't, I don't like to say like a guilty pleasure. I really don't like that phrase. Um, mm. because I don't think that we should feel guilty about anything that we enjoy like this. I think that if you feel guilty about something that you enjoy, then a better use of your time would be to figure out who you are and why you liked it. And then to be okay with that. Right. Like, right. like, not like, you know, <laughs> to change your mind, but to go, okay, why did I like this? How did I receive this? And then I think that that makes you more open to the way that others receive things. And suddenly we're a stronger community. It's funny right? you say that because while I was doing the first episode, you know, the, the phrase so bad, it's good certainly did come up. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking to myself, is this really so bad? It's good. Or is it just so wacky? It's good. Like, right. <laughs> is it just so, so right. just outlandishly ridiculous? It's good. Right. And now, <laughs> and I know that like, uh, in some of the comments, cause you know, I've commented on a few of your posts and there's been, a, you know, that, uh, you and some other people like bring up like the room, the movie, the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now the room is an interesting, uh, an interesting kind of thing. Um, or to quote Paul Rudd, it's a mysterious fig. Um, <laughs> because there are some movies that are just, terrible they're just terrible mm. movies right and then there are some movies that are so tapped into the bizarre you know um and the room we actually don't know which is which you know what i mean yeah it, it, it's amazing in that it, it's uh, it's probably the biggest example i could think of of that of like not really knowing what the hell happened in the right. process of making it right because because we don't know any of those actors outside of this film you know what mm -hmm. i mean and there's no other movie even of that era that looks like that movie you know like like now you might be able to argue that the movie is what the room is wildly unsuccessful but i don't i don't know that's the one movie where i'm like i don't know if that's a bad movie it probably is <laughs> but i i don't know you know um but uh but you know, when a movie like Serenity happens, um, there tends to be a zeitgeist. And I'm sure that for every one person who's actually seen Serenity, there's 50 people with an opinion of Serenity. Sure, sure. Right? And the <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, I'm, I, it immediately made me think of Geely when Geely happened back in the day. Right. Um, good old 03. And, um, and, I have been a big fan of Geely for a long time. <laughs> um, I actually saw that movie with my grandmother in the theater. And uh, I don't know if you have you ever seen Geely? I finally did many years later. And I, I can't say I liked it. Um, sure. But then, then again, it certainly had its moments that I at least enjoyed in a ridiculous way. You know? right, right. Well, 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 but check this out. You're right. No. And here's the thing. Geely is not a good movie. That's yeah. a bad movie, right? It really is. It's a bad movie. But, <laughs> here's the but. So, Geely has a fascinating structure, and it's a great idea. For those of you who actually don't know what Geely really is, other than the Benefer bomb from 16 years ago, it is a movie about a, a low-on-the-rung mobster hoodlum goon who gets hired to kidnap the 
brother, uh, the mentally challenged brother of a district attorney. And they're going to hold this guy hostage so that the district attorney will not prosecute the big head mob boss played by Al Pacino. Most people don't even know Al Pacino's in this film. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and honestly, it's, it's probably my favorite Al Pacino performance. He comes on screen for nine minutes, just fucking annihilates it, and then makes his almost Peacock-esque exit from the movie. <laughs> um, but because this hoodlum, Geely, played by Ben Affleck, is like the dumbest of the dumb, his, his next up boss, Lewis, doesn't trust him to handle the job, so he gets this outsider uh, hitman to help out. He, uh, you know, freelance almost, a girl named Ricky, played you know, by Jennifer Lopez. Not to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say really quick, I should have used Geely as a puzzle piece when we did Green Book. Um, <laughs> it would have been good for Vigo Mortensen's uh, character. But oh, go, interesting! Go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on with no, that no, point. no. That's brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um. Uh. So, so Ricky, you know, and and Geely, Larry, his real name is, but we'll call him Geely so as not to confuse those. Uh, sure. Ricky and Geely, they um, you know, they instantly don't like each other, but secretly really do. But mm. plot twist: womp womp. Ricky's a lesbian, uh, even though. Ben's madly in love with her. And by the end of that movie, whoo, does he break down those walls, right? Again, that's two <laughs> times for him. Um, if you take Chasing Amy into account. Sure. Which yeah. I actually, um, if Kevin Smith ever hears this, um, I'm sorry to say, but I actually think that Geely is a better film than Chasing Amy. So, oh, wow. <laughs> I know. That being said... What we what we now know, sixteen years later, is that Geely, the film itself, is not actually a film about a guy converting a lesbian. The film is actually about gender identity and gender dynamics, because what gets revealed in the film is that Ricky, Jennifer Lopez's character, has very dominant masculine uh, traits, right? And what Geely himself kind of realizes, he's been putting on this tough guy jersey, bowling shirt, facade, for, you know. But like what he realizes is that he he actually shows much more feminine uh, traits, and that's why mm -hmm. it actually kind of brilliantly blends for the two of them. It's not about homosexuality versus like a hetero lifestyle. It's literally about gender politics, really. Um, sure. Yeah. So Geely has very interesting themes. The premise is really fascinating. The performances, save for Jennifer Lopez, are fantastic. Like, they're fantastic, even Ben Affleck. Um, which, as much as I'm a fan of his, I'm no apologist. And I don't praise right, him right. as being a fantastic actor. He's just a great movie star. Um, but but Geely is not a good movie. So why do I think Geely's not a good movie, but Serenity is? Well, here's why. Geely compromises. Serenity mm -hmm. does not. Geely was a movie that its third act was completely reshaped by test audiences, right? It's also a movie that felt the need to, um, to trim people out of it, to keep the storyline a more like romantic through storyline. And, uh, yeah. and, and Jennifer Lopez's performance is not good. She's one of those hires because it was the lead stars, uh, girlfriend she uh Halle Berry had just dropped out you know it was one of those compromising you know um situations 
So the film itself is compromised. Therefore, all the good all the good things that it tried to do that hadn't been done before or that hadn't been explored before, they are they are negated and compromised by all of these compromises. And we could tell that, right? Um, there's a lot of subtext to Geely, believe it or not. Um, and if I was going to equate Geely's story to another movie, I would equate it to um, Alien. <laughs> the uh, Ridley Scott film, which is the beauty of Alien is that there's so much subtext going on like that they never discuss. They never discuss the nuance of the character's dynamics or who they are as people or, you know what I mean? But we sure. trust what we're seeing so much that 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 we know that it's there. You know, Geely, we can't yeah, trust yeah. that. Now, Serenity, on the other hand, the beauty of the design of Serenity is that there's no way that you could reshape that by a test audience without completely remaking the movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way a test audience could be like, I don't like this video game element. Yeah, apparent, apparently that in that article we shared in the group, apparently that's a big part of why Matthew McConaughey is mad because the studio was just like, look, this tested badly. We're not going to promote it. Right. Right. Yeah. And when I read that headline, I was just like, man, because it says Matthew McConaughey, like mad at producers or duped right, by producers. Right. And I was like, oh, man, Matt's not sticking to his guns. And then I read it and I was like, dude, even in the face <laughs> of the entire country being like, your movie sucks. He goes, nah, dude, the producer sucked at telling you what the movie was. Yep, like, yep. hell yeah. I was, oh, man, I already liked him. But now it's like, all right, you're you're one of the boys <laughs> now. I like that. Um but Serenity, the beauty of Serenity is that it completely owns its decision from minute one. Completely. Mm. Completely. And, and you know what? Mm -hmm. That is the exact reason I loved Aquaman so much last year. Ooh. Oh, because okay. <laughs> it's, I know, I know. Not everybody agrees, but yeah. But it, it is purely uncompromising as far as I'm concerned. And it, like, I think if there's one word that describes it, it's uncompromising. And, you know, James Wan had a vision and he just went for it, whether it's ridiculous or not, whether it's silly or not, whatever, he just went for it. And I, 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 I can see that, you know, what you're saying about serenity uh, being uncompromising as well. Right, right. Fair enough. I, I mean, I, I didn't like Aquaman, but it was because I was, I was kind of bored by it. Right. And that, that kind of comes to the next thing, which is what is the purpose of what you're doing, both on an artistic level and both on a, um, on like a, a social kind of level. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like a social responsibility. Now, the thriller genre has been done to death a million times. You know, the kill my husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kill my wife. Kill my mom. You know, like it's 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 been done a gazillion times and like i think it is kind of a problem that we gravitate toward movies like that so strongly like the fact that gone girl was such a big hit when it was such a fucking stupid movie like just such a stupid movie it, it's <laughs> you go oh is this a book that they sold at kmart yeah i figured <laughs> um like where does that come from where does that desire come from for us to see things like that you know well yeah, yeah. It, like everything, it all stems from childhood to what you're exposed to as a child and the traumas and, you know, that you experience as a child, right? I mean, like, that's where a lot of the, the desires for these lesser uh, desirable things comes from. Mm -hmm. And so I almost think that it's, that it's brilliant that Stephen Knight said, okay, 
Like, this is something we like. Why do we like it? How do we do it new? And how do we create a greater understanding? Right? So sure. name any other, this is the most done movie ever. Kill my spouse, kill my, you know, whatever. Name any other movie that comes close to this in its approach. Right, yeah. I mean, it's an original take on that tried and true genre. Great. So, great, cool, excellent. So it's an original take on on a genre that we've seen it all before, right? Yeah. And, and okay, and it doesn't compromise. Okay, so I'm just stacking up all, like, my pros, yeah. right? I, so far, you're doing, oh. you're doing a great job so far. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. So we've got those three pros. Okay, now, the next level is purpose outside of itself, outside of movies, because let's face it, movies are just movies. There's a whole great big world out there, right? We deal, we, we deal with a lot of trauma when we're kids. And, and whether it's trauma on a level of an abusive parent or if it's the trauma of, you know, like, like small slights that happen to us. And, I, and maybe trauma is too much of a word, but when we're shut down, when mm -hmm. we're not allowed to express how we're really feeling about something, when we're not allowed to like act out like what's really going on inside of us and we have to suppress that. And what does that become? What does that turn into? Right? Right. So this little boy is a genius who the, uh, nobody likes him. He, at school, he's alienated because his brain is like functioning on this level that is incomprehensible, right? And his mother, who's the only person who really cares about him, is too busy getting beaten by her, by her you know, husband and his stepdad. And she's honestly like, what does a mother do? A mother fucking takes one for their child, right? Like yeah. you can tell like she, his mother, and he knows this, his mother goes out of her way to make sure that the husband beats her and not him, right? And sure. like feeling that kind of trauma, like God, like I can't imagine how that would be to a 13 year old. You know what I mean? And then right. also think about this, not only having a father who died in war, but a father who even after having a child decided to go to war to kill people. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a lot of people's realities right now. And like that anger, that, that bitterness, that resentment that it builds up inside of you, it's going to come out in some way or another. Now, you may not have a trigger like this kid does, which is an abusive stepfather that you're going to fucking stab with your father's fishing knife, right? <laughs> Real spoilers, baby. Um, yeah. But... but <laughs> But if you don't have a trigger like that, then what happens? All of those traumas, all of those repressed feelings, all of those like inconsiderations, uh, they start to affect your everyday life for the rest of your life and the way that you treat others. Right? Sure. And suddenly we're electing Donald Trump. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know, yeah. like, like, I know it sounds crazy to jump that, that large to make that big leap in, in the span of two sentences. But for me, I've spent years piecing that bridge together in my own mind, right? Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. so Serenity is a movie that directly deals with that and that has enough respect for a 13-year-old to be true to them, right? Because we've all been 13. The Breakfast Club is another movie that I actually probably would have done as one of my puzzle pieces, mm -hmm. um, but in a negative way, oddly enough. Because what I don't like about The Breakfast Club is that it actually creates this feeling of letting us linger on our problems from when we were teens. Like, yeah, that is how I felt. Nobody liked me then, you know? Yeah. But like, I don't think that's very beneficial. I don't think it's beneficial to make us want to feel like kids again. 
I don't. Uh, and I think I spoke of that a little bit on our last uh, podcast we did together. I'm not into that idea. Right. Um, I think kids are developing and we are better than children. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? For, you know, it, like take that for what it is. We are more developed. We are further along. And the more we try to stay like a child, the worse things are going to get. Right. Sure. And honestly, we need to embrace the fact that us wanting to stay more like a child is just a propaganda tool created by media and corporations to keep us as happy little consumers. Um, Hashtag adulting sucks so bad, you know? Well, does it though? I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. dude, like I went to lunch the other day and I got this like meal that comes with pie and I ate the pie first. Fuck off. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it really doesn't. But like, but so in a, in a, in a, in a genre designed to put butts in the seat in a, industry designed to if you don't make a hundred million dollars profit on your movie you're a failure what sure. name <laughs> any other industry that like well this product didn't make 100 million dollars in profit in the first month we failed yeah. Flop. um yeah flop <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah um the fact that somebody dared to say well we need to be better what's the root of the problem let's address that right i super applaud somebody like that and and while aquaman may have been ambitious and while aquaman may have even been good i just don't give a shit because because it was designed for you to just go have fun you know what i mean sure sure it is is just total escapism right and i'm not real meaning yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm gonna do it. Uh, Cassavetes had a whole theory about escapism, and he thinks that that that's also a cop out, like saying guilty pleasure because you're not escaping. Because why do you go see, to see Towering Inferno? Because you're excited by fire, right? You're going to have an emotion. You're having an emotional experience, like, and that's okay. You, there's I guess, nothing. I guess I'm excited by Jason Momoa. Is what? It comes yeah, do, hey, we're only flesh and blood. <laughs> like, I get it. No, but but that's totally cool. You know what I mean? That's totally cool. And I don't mean that I, I have no judgment when it comes to people who like Aquaman, right? Um, like, like at all. But like for me, that's not what stimulates me. That's why I would bring up the Matrix Revolution. Uh, revolutions, rather. Because like to me, that's right. my favorite of the Matrix movies. Um, I know. <laughs> I, I love all three of them. I think the first one's the best. I think the second one had the most potential. But the third one, whoo, baby, that's the one that gets me. Um, <laughs> And, and I never quite understood why. And there was actually a YouTube video I saw about a year ago, the 20-minute long movie explaining the second and third Matrixes. And I was like, oh, man, this guy, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And what he said, he was much young, he's much younger than me, this guy who made the video. But what he said was when he was a kid and the second Matrix came out, he hated it because, like, because the movie would literally stop to have a philosophical conversation. And mm-hmm. like that was so annoying to him. And he says that the first movie brilliantly weaves all its uh, philosophies and like metaphysical ideas into the narrative, like brilliantly weaves it. But that the second and third one will literally hit the pause button on the story to have one of these discussions only to leave you with more questions. And he says, well, here's the twist now that I'm an adult. I have philosophical conversations for fun. He's like, I, I, I go to, I go to university. I'm a scholar. I'm a student. I also go to see action movies with car chases for fun. And he's like, and now it's like both sides of my fun, my real world fun and my movie fun coming together for two and a half hours of grown up fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, 
I love me some Matrix Three. It's my fa- it's my favorite of the bunch. And while you could say it's the worst one, I'm like, well, uh, that's debatable, but you're not wrong. I've always yeah. wanted to go back and rewatch them as an adult, you know, and like see what I think of them. I mean, I was already what like 21, 22, 23 at the time, something like that. Uh, but I mean, a little a little further into adulthood and, and see what I think of them now. You well, know. to think about this, you know, your brain's not fully developed until you're about 25. Exactly, yeah. And that's, you know what I mean? And, and, and I think a lot of that actually has to do with all of the shit you've built up in your life is put to the test in that first, you know, 10 years or so of going out into the world on your own, whether it's with friends or whether it's moving out or going, you know what I mean? Getting your first job. Like, sure. That's, I think that's where the last bit of development comes in. Um, I, I've always liked them. But I didn't love them until about three or four years ago when I re-watched them for the first time in you know, probably a decade. And I was just like, wow, this is the best trilogy of all time. Like, I, I love, I love nice. that trilogy. You um, know, I want to I go back real quick to something you were saying um, when you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the kid and, and the stuff that he's going through and how that, you know, kind of leads us to, you know, the, the, a world where, you know, Trump is elected president and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, because... What one thing we talked about on the first episode about Serenity is about that ending and about how him killing the stepfather is treated almost triumphantly and uh you know leads to a sentimental moment between him and his real father and um y- you know and and how he's like let off the hook completely despite the fact that he just murdered this guy even though he was a piece of shit um he did just murder this guy um right. how do you feel about that with my hands no, uh, I <laughs> um, no, I I actually think it's the only way that that movie can end, and here's why. Here's what I like about it. Um, it was it, this actually ties in. Per- I'm so glad you brought that up. Maybe the conversation is going there naturally because you, this idea of escapism and how um, we we go to the movies for quote unquote escapism, so we don't have to deal with uh, some other problem mm-hmm. that's actually going on, right? Well. When watching the movie, I'm like, wow, this movie is taking that idea to the next level, which is instead of just going and experiencing something to not deal with what's going on in your life, you create something to deal with what's going on in your life, right? Mm. But I think that we as artists, um, sometimes we get a little too caught up in creating things to deal with what's going on, right? It's almost like its own form of addiction, its own form of drinking, its own form of drugs. It's a, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you actually deal with something, it will build and build and build until it's released in a violent way. Unless you mm-hmm. actually confront what's happening in your life. Now, in this film, this boy keeps fighting, dealing with his problem. What does he do? He makes the game more complex, more complex, more, you know what I mean? He, new characters, new obstacles, new, you know what I mean? He, he, he he creates cheats to keep to keep him getting closer to that tuna to keep him in the game right yeah yeah like because he just won't face what's happening until there's no other option right sure so what happened in this country we just kept ignoring all the problems we kept celebrating the things that made us feel good we kept consuming we kept making movies saying this is the problem with what's going on in the world and then nothing fucking changes because we're not actually dealing with anything <laughs> and then y- you get somebody running like Donald Trump 
right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what happens, right? <laughs> and then what? Did, <laughs> and now, now, what is what is that? What is what did we go back to right afterward? Well, we go back to our movies. We go back to our shows. We go back to our news. That all they do is make fun of Donald Trump, right? Much like the little boy in this movie who. It got to a point where there was a violent reaction, a volcanic reaction, and then he just dives right back into the world of his silly little, you know, like, oh, it's not his fault that all this happened to him. It's not his fault that nobody did anything, and what happens, happens, and now we're just going to have to go with it from here. Let's go back to our video games. Let's go back to our criticisms instead of our actual taking action and furthering our lives. Because he doesn't do this and then go back into the real world and embrace it or anything, does he? No, what he does is he... Right. So to me... I don't look at the movie as a triumphant ending. And I don't think the movie does either. I think that because the last shot of the little boy is him sitting isolated in a room. Like that's the last, that's the last real shot of this boy. Right. Yeah. And the, I mean, the ending of the movie is him having to rebuild the game from scratch. And And he kind of, he's kind of sucked more into the world than he ever was. Now he's in it too. Exactly. See, boom. Yeah. You get it. Hey, hey, this, this, I, yeah, I know th- this whole wacky. rebuttal episode. It's, it's, it's going to, I don't know what it's going to do to me in the long run. Well, <laughs> well here, well, here I'll, I'll try to even you out a little, um, you know, it's really funny about this is I'm watching the movie and, uh, there's that guy in it, the Reed Miller, the, the guy who's selling the, uh, the bait and tackle, you know, like all the, the right to keep him I tuning, right. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, where have I seen? this dude before where have i seen this generation x bob balaban before where have i seen this person and then i was like wait a minute there's no way that i'm right is there is that private oster from the happening and sure enough i looked the dude up and it is it's private oster from the happening the guy who i don't know if you've seen the happening oh yeah Um, sure but he's the he's the the army guy who like leads him through the field and like does the whole like this is my rifle this you know and he like shoots himself in his in the head right like in the field i was like whoa what is it about these filmmakers that gravitate toward this actor because like the happening is another film that i think of like serenity this is where my argument might get a little weak to some people um <laughs> I think that the happening is somewhere in between Serenity and Geely, where I think that casting Zoe Deschanel is the compromise. Um, and I don't even mean that as a disrespect to her as a person, but her um, artistic endeavors, which are a reflection of her talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even mean the quality of her talent, but what she has to offer. Um, and uh, the happening is another film that people immediately were like this is the dumbest movie ever made and they immediately started saying like oh it's such a stupid poorly made movie with no reason blah blah blah. well no it actually is a film that is rooted in twilight zone era propaganda which is the 50s which is the television age which he made it like a twilight zone episode it wasn't a spoof it wasn't a satire it wasn't homage he was speaking the language of an operatic 50s b television series because he likes that language and i think and so do we we just don't admit it we say oh it was just the 50s it's like doesn't matter it still affects you you still like the twilight zone right sure like if this movie had been some uncovered gem from the 50s it would have been a you know it would have been like you know people would be like oh this undiscovered masterpiece predating psycho um 
But the movie, so it's speaking a language that was not modern, was not hip, was not, people were not used to it. So that's fine that people reacted to that. I, I get it. But the movie, again, is made with purpose. The one thing that cracks me up about the movie is how every single person says, oh, it's the movie where plants kill people. Uh, <laughs> watch it again. Watch it again. The whole point of the movie is it doesn't matter what theory a collective of paranoid people come up with. It does not matter what theory a media outlet decides to run with. We don't know. And the scariest thing about life is it is is that is admitting what you don't know? Yeah, that's people the whole refuse point of to admit that. Exactly, and yeah, that's yeah. the horror of the happening. It never, ever states that that is what's actually going on. Interesting. You know what I mean? And that's something that people didn't appreciate about it because of the extreme. I won't even say ridiculous. I'll say the extreme genre approach that M Night Shyamalan took. Mm-hmm. And which is, but I actually don't think that Serenity is actually that extreme. I think that we just weren't prepared for it. I think that 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 this is a video game culture. It's not like he's making something about you know a culture long forgotten. No, he's making a movie about video game culture. Sure, every every uh, you know everybody under the age of. 45 right now was raised in a video game heavy environment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is the language of the time, but it like television, it's a different medium. So we have to know going in that we are seeing a, a, an examination of a different medium mm-hmm. through the lens of that medium. And you can do that. It, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's like that movie with Robert De Niro and fucking Robin Williams, uh, Awakenings. Mm, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The psychological drama about a man dealing with the trauma of you know in his psychiatrist. You know what I mean? It was sold as a romantic comedy. You know, like the trailer was a romantic comedy because they didn't think people were going to come see a sad movie with Robin Williams in it. Yeah, this is a, a hard sell, no matter how you slice it. Absolutely. And all that, all that, but all that studios know how to do in that kind of situation when they don't trust what they have is say, well, I got Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Just show them a lot, I guess. And then the guy <laughs> from the second Planet of the apes and sure. You know what you I know? realized while I was cutting the little puzzle pieces out of the movie's poster uh, for, for the episode, like I always do. Um, and I don't know if you noticed this, but on the poster, which I saw pretty heavily, like there was big posters in all of all the movie theaters and I, I never noticed this. Um, if you look at their eyes and the reflection, you see the kid in front of his computer. No. Yeah. So that's oh. pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, so dope. Dude, what a cool movie. And I'm sorry. I know that, like, I, I think this is a, there's a real tragedy, if you ask me, to Anne Hathaway's career, which <laughs> is, um, which is, she loves acting. Oh, like, yeah. she, and, and, oh, uh, let me, let me, before I say any more, just say, I love Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. as, as an actress and as a person. Um, I have had the pleasure of interacting with her a few times. Um, I had to, uh, I worked at Arclight, uh, uh, theater here in Los Angeles and she would come in 
quite frequently. One time I was taking a whaler of trash, you know, one of those big wheelbarrows full of multiple trash bags. I was taking mm -hmm. it out the side door and I was like backing up, you know, opening the door with my butt. But then somebody opened it for me and the person was like, I gotcha. And it was her. <laughs> and she like held the door for me. And that was the first time I ever met her. And I was like, great. Great. Nice. What a nice first impression. She seems cool. She seems like oh, someone she, who would be down to earth and cool. Lovely. Now, I already loved her as an actress before that. Like, I really did. Um, I think what happened with Anne Hathaway is that she always seemed older than she is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and um, Scarlett Johansson has a bit of the same uh, issue. Um, that, like, they always got cast as a little bit older than they actually were. You know, because Anne Hathaway right now is, what, 30, 35? 36 something like that mm -hmm. she's only 35 or 36 but she's been playing the 35 36 year old role for 10 years sure you know what i mean um scarlett johansson's the same way but see aha scarlett johansson appeals to young people because she's not pretty she's sexy right right right. they're both beautiful but anne hathaway isn't sexy anne hathaway is is beautiful she's pretty mm -hmm. right which are the traits of a more you know you know 30 year old range right it's right, not appealing right. to the same thing. So I think what happened was Anne Hathaway, when she was establishing her career and when she was hitting like, you know, when she was when she was hitting hot, she was appealing to an older audience. Like what the quality she offered appealed to the to 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 an older audience. So now the generation that actually, quote, unquote, grew up with her, they don't have an attachment to her. Right. I, I think that I think that they don't really have the same kind of like she's one of us, you know, kind of. uh Interesting. Kind of feelings toward her. So it's hard to sell a youth market on her, and video games are a quote-unquote youth market, if you will. You know, no condescension to anybody who still plays them past 25. Sure. You know, I'm just saying, like, that's... And so I think that I think that she gets a bad rap, um, and that's unfortunate. I think she, like so many actors and actresses before, has just kind of become a thing, and uh, I hope they get appreciated later on in, hopefully, in their life if not just life in general. Yeah, I, I um, came on board at, at uh, Colossal and ever since have gained a greater appreciation for everything that came before as well uh, because oh, I never cool. was really a big fan of hers. I thought she was all right, but I loved right. her so much in that that I was like, all right, I, I, I see what she's doing. I, I like well, this girl. Yeah, she, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though, they're just an actor through and through. Like, they sure. love acting. But yeah. I actually think she's a better actor than a... Uh, than, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt has some insecurities. I think that he has this tendency to put on a big boy voice sometimes. <laughs> like in, in, in a, what's that fucking movie? The stupid, terrible movie that I hate. The one with, the, with Inception. Yeah, you know, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt the whole time is talking like this and explaining things like this. You know, like putting on his big boy, J-Glove voice. Um, not to say that I don't think he's great in some things. I mean, Looper, have you heard of it? If you haven't, oh, yeah. you hear about Love it. Looper. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but Anne Hathaway... I think is a stronger actress um, uh, than he is actor. And, uh, but, but it's the same cut. It's that they love acting. They just mm. love acting. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes that can, uh, it, 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 it creates a, 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 you, they were born for theater, you know, mm. she's a very theatrical actress, um, which works uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so, so serenity I, I I like the happening. I say, I get that it was such this extreme thing. I can see why it would be hard to ingest. 
you know what I mean? Which is why it won't do well. But unlike the happening, I think that with correct marketing, and I think with not even marketing, correct preparation, mm-hmm. we could have, I think the movie would have been successful. I actually think, if not financially, at least with the people who are watching it. And I actually do think, I have actually not met a single person who didn't like the movie. They A lot of them say the whole so bad that it's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. But not every bad movie has that have where everybody likes it. Right, exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, like Kristen, the girl who uh, we did the main episode with, she also, you know, she said it was the movie she's enjoyed the most this year so far, despite right. it being ridiculous, you know? Right, yes, it's just, yes, yes, yes. See, aha, uh-huh. see, see. But <laughs> um, <laughs> like the little boy in the film, like everybody in the world, I think that there are certain things that we keep ourselves distracted. We, we distract ourselves to not deal and cope with certain things about ourselves, Right. Whether we're afraid of them, whether we're too afraid to admit what we don't know. But here's the thing. You can learn. You know, there's this whole myth that people don't change. And while I get what what people mean by that, I don't think that's true necessarily. Mm. I do think that people fundamentally stay who they are their entire life. You know what I mean? I I do believe there's some truth to that. But we are always growing. We are always growing. And what changes the growth, the path, the direction, the rate, are the things that we embrace, right? The aspects sure. of ourselves that we indulge in. And in an era where they are, where media is very specifically is keeping us um, separate from each other, most of our social interactions happen through a screen um, of some sort. Like where they're keeping us from like actually creating communities and gaining perspectives. Um, Like, I think that, I think you're going to start to see a negative backlash. I think you're going to start to see um, everything become homogenized and you're just going to see consumerism just spin even more out of control Mm -hmm. because we're not actually um, growing or indulging in things that are actually beneficial to us. Just the things that keep us, you know, pleased in this and you know we're we're just indulging in pleasures right and complacency and that's what, right and that's why um uh, the studio didn't want to and the producers didn't want to promote serenity because at the end of the day a studio and unfortunately say this a lot of producers they they're not artists they're mm-hmm. businessmen they're yeah. which is and and Investors. that's not a condescension that to me is not a condescension I I am grateful for them, and I am grateful for people who know who, how to navigate. Yeah, and I and I have a lot of respect for that because without them, there isn't mass communication. Without them, there is. You know what I mean? Like like and 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 everybody has a right to to um. Without inflicting harm on somebody, I think everybody has a right to pursue the things that they're good at, and that that makes sense to them, and that you know what I mean. As long as it's not, you know, inflicting harm, mm-hmm. but. The harm that art can inflict on a society is not obvious to somebody who's not an artist, right? The yeah. harm and the benefit. So the the harm of putting out something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where one of our heroes kills hundreds of people with an arrow in slow motion through the heads of all of his men, like <laughs> the harm that that does to an eight-year-old is not as apparent as, you know, 
shooting somebody in front of an eight year old. <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but to that other side of that coin of that extreme, and I'm sorry that I'm only dealing in extremes. I hate to do that normally, but whatever it happens. <laughs> um, the other side of that is that the benefits are not as apparent. And I see serenity and its themes and its idea and its premise and its concept. I mean, I see it all as a beautiful, loving benefit to this country specifically, to this era, to this time. But of course, the studio is not going to see that. And of course, a, you know, the, the, a handful of producers won't see that. I don't hold that against them necessarily. I don't hold what's, you know, what's happening with Serenity. I don't hold against anybody. You know, it's just in my eyes, unfortunate. But I am glad that people are seeing it. I am glad that people are in their own way embracing it. Um, because whether or not they know it, they're still taking it in. And yeah, that's cool I'm, I'm pulling hard for it. I, I hope more people see it um, because whether they, you know, are, are in the so bad it's good category or whether they are actually intrigued by the whole thing and, uh, you know, like it for what it is um, or somewhere in the middle like myself, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's a movie worth seeing and a movie, uh, a movie, that, if nothing else, is original and different. And there's right. not enough of that. Yeah. I agree, and and to put a to to, to put a final uh, stamp of mine on the idea of so bad it's good. Mm. I think that what happens in a movie that is not successful, like a bad movie that you still like, right? Yeah, like um, I'll say like Geely, right? Uh, for for myself, or or Glenn or Glenda, the Ed Wood film, mm. right? Um, yes, they did not; they were unsuccessful. Yes, they might have bad performances. Yes, some of the ideas might be so like laughably like bad, right? But when we embrace something that's bad, it's because whether we realize it or not, we understand the intention and we're excited sure. by the intention. When something is just bad, we completely ignore it. Yeah. We completely dismiss it. You know, if as individuals if not as a whole society. But but when the intention shines through, you know, when, when the spirit of something shines through, that's actually what we're connecting to. And instead of dealing, and instead of dealing in the negative, instead of saying like, oh, it's so bad. Uh, but instead of saying like, whoa, like, wow, they like, man, they really went for it. Or like, whoa, isn't that crazy that this happened? You know, that's how I feel about Jason Clark's entire presence in the film. <laughs> Jason Clark. He went I, for it. Yeah, I always <laughs> have liked that guy. Like the fact that he held his own as the unknown in, in Lawless. Like I, since Lawless, I've loved that dude. When he had that line where he's washing off, he's like, babe, look at all this fucking blood. I was just like, I, I like stood up and clapped. You know what I mean? Like I clapped, man. I thought that was so cool. You know, I saw the <laughs> I saw the film with a with a friend of mine. He's an actor. His name is Ron Thompson. Um, he did. Uh, he's mostly did a lot of television stuff in the seventies and eighties. But he was the star of uh, like Ralph Bakshi's film American Pop, which is one of my favorite films. Hmm. Ron is a very like um, he's very he's a big actor you know what i mean like his his performances are are huge they're they're you know what i mean like they're very like james dean you know what i mean like they're very sure. they're just big performances and um he has had such a hard time 
getting roles in the last, you know, his whole career, really. He's just had trouble getting roles because he goes to these auditions and they want him to be something. But he's not. He's Ron, you know? Mm. And um, I met him about five years, six years ago now. Wow. At a screening of, a, no, five years ago. You're, yeah, yeah, five years ago. At a screening of American Pop. And he was amazed I recognized him because American Pop's cartoon. It's a, it's a rotoscope film. Mm. So, like, he actually acted out and then they drew over him. You know what I mean? So right. it's rotoscope, like how they do mocap today. Sure. Um, the original Andy Circus. Um, <laughs> and uh, we hit it off. We became friends. And he has now been in, I think, five of my films, right? And the last movie that I did was a film called Chicks Man. And he has a 14-minute long monologue <laughs> in the movie. 14 minutes. And Jeez. yeah. <laughs> it was 17 minutes but i you know i trimmed it a little i'm nice. I'm, I'm not i'm not a, i'm not that self-indulgent um, <laughs> i trimmed i i it's a 14 minute monologue and here's this actor who for years has been told you know you're too much or like oh you're not quite what we're looking for you know somebody who hasn't been appreciated in my eyes he, i wrote the monologue for him i wrote the scene for him at the end of the movie i i did a screening of it here and i did one in new orleans i did one in jacksonville i did one in um here in Los Angeles, and at the end of every screening, um, everybody wants to come up and talk to me about Ron's monologue and how that's their favorite part of the movie. <laughs> nice. And and nobody, nobody can can do what Ron Thompson can do. You know what I mean? Like no nobody can do what Ron Thompson can do, and he is this you know elaborate, strange, weird, bizarre maybe even ridiculous kind of presence, but there's gravitas to him. You know what mm. I mean? There really is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I don't tell this story to like, you'd say like, hey, so my 14 minute monologue, I don't mean that. What I mean by that is that like, um, is that I have acknowledged the gravitas in absurdity uh, for, for myself. My favorite movie of all time is Popeye. And why? Because Popeye moves me to tears. And like, I think it's a beautiful love story. You know what I mean? And I think it's a beautiful coming-of-age film about embracing your responsibilities, but literally done with a sailor whose forearms are the size of bowling balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to, me, to me, that's beautiful. In this era where we're, we're, they're trying to say that The Dark Knight is a realistic take on superhero movies. You know what I mean? Like, we're doing, like yeah, no, <laughs> we would, our superhero movies need to be more real. It's like, are you joking? Yeah, it's gritty and real. Like, The Dark Knight's like, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, still a dude with fucking ears, you know, pointy ears, like flying a cape. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's loony. That's a loony. And, and, like, stop being afraid of embracing your loony. And actually, whoo. Sorry, just a half-second soapbox. Feel free to cut this part if you want. Um, the Dark Knight <laughs> is not actually a gritty, realistic take. It is actually a propagandic tool to turn you more into a corporate kind of aesthetic. So that uh, it, it is actually a corporate filleting film that wants you to think of things in like um, uh, with with a lack of personality. With a, like, it basically wants you to feel like you're in a corporate building all the time and to idol worship corporations. Um, just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> hey, any any episode where we praise Serenity and trash Dark Knight, I'm I'm keeping that in for sure. <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, it, you know, again, not to trash the quality of the Dark Knight, which the editing is pretty shitty, but other than that, um, the the morals and the intentions of of Christopher Nolan, um, whether he realizes it or not, are awful and detrimental to. Uh, I, 
I saw something on Twitter the other day. This is a total aside. It has nothing to do with the conversation, but it, it made me laugh so hard. But it was a little clip of the Dark Knight when uh, when Two Face uh, is in the in the hospital and uh, the Joker is you know in the nurse's outfit, and the Joker pulls off his mask and Two Face like, oh god damn it, it's you! And it's like he couldn't tell that was the Joker under underneath that <laughs> <laughs> was like really i never thought about that before i laughed so hard when i saw that <laughs> i mean to that scene's credit it is followed up with the best part of the whole movie which is him just going hi <laughs> like that that really is like the but again i think that there's a I think that there's a real laziness going on in Hollywood. Um, can they try to make us say that the Dark Knight is like a realistic take on superhero genre? Um, do you look at Two Face's face? Right, his eyeball <laughs> is hanging out. You know what I mean? Like, shut up, just shut, shut up. Um, you know, honestly, this is this is not as much. I think that the original Ninja Turtles is actually the most oddly realistic uh, superhero movie ever made. Well, it's a fantastic uh, movie. I haven't seen it. In it a while, is. But... Be- oh my God. Rediscover it because yeah. honestly it is beautiful. It is a beautiful film and it's not a comedy and it's not a kid's movie and it's not silly. It's the most insane movie in the world because somebody said, Hey, we're going to make this movie about turtles that got turned by ooze into teenage ninja fighters. And somebody said, okay, okay. Well, what if that really happened? <laughs> you know what i mean like no somebody said that because there's yeah, no other yeah. way that that movie because if somebody doesn't say that then suddenly you get ninja turtles too right right the secret of the use you know what i mean that's what happens when somebody doesn't sit down and say that yeah like and the first ninja turtles is mind-blowing oh, so again if you're out there if you're out there listening that. to this and you're like this guy's talking about serenity what a fucking idiot and then you hear me say <laughs> that thing about ninja turtles you go see i yeah, get it right you know like <laughs> I'm not afraid of where I'm coming from. And like, again, I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so old at this point that I'm over people not appreciating things. And I'm over having a perspective that others don't have. And I'm not saying that mine is better by any means. I'm just saying a different perspective. Sure. So like, I'm not going to be heartbroken if serenity uh, leaves nothing more than a skid mark on the box office and nothing more than a, a chuckle in the belly of those who feel like they've seen it because they've read the headlines um i'm just i'm just very uh grateful that um that steven that that the whole that the whole everybody involved including the producers who might not have gotten it i'm so grateful that they did um that they did what they did i'm grateful to have experienced it myself because it is uh, i don't play video games i don't know about video game culture it is basically a film that has the same heart and and mindset as I do and the same affection and love for people and the same desire for things to be better that I do. Right. But it is in a uh, perspective in a field that I cannot, um, that I would not have been able to conceive myself speaking to an audience that I know nothing that I wouldn't know how to communicate to. It's the same sure. reason I love Michael Bay. It's the same reason I love Rob Zombie. Mm. I might be hurting my case when I say that, but I know what I mean. <laughs> you know, well, 
Maybe before you hurt your case anymore, we should uh, bring it to a Last close. Year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, really, I, I did like I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad we did it. I did not expect us to talk for an hour uh, today, oh, but oh, but shit. I'm so I'm so glad that we did. <laughs> um, this was this was an absolute blast. And I uh, I you know I had, actually it's funny that we went for an hour because I had joked on Twitter right after we recorded uh, Friday's episode. I said just recorded an episode on Serenity. I'd love to talk for, about it for another hour. And so <laughs> here we are. So I we, You're welcome. I wish wish Twitter, fulfilled. So. Yeah, wish fulfilled not- though for me. <laughs> Perfect, man. I'm, uh, and thank you for thank you for uh, letting me have this conversation because like it's it's something I I I I'm very passionate about with all movies. You know what I mean? That like sure. I, I'm passionate about us having an understanding of why we respond to what we respond to and embracing it in ourselves because we're all wonderful, we're all lovely, we all have val- valid opinions and feelings and emotions and uh, sure. And I think that uh, we should not feel guilty or judged by it. And yeah. yeah. So that's what this conversation is about for me. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, uh, Joe, uh, why don't you tell people where they could find more about you and your work? Uh, You know, uh, again, I've still just got the Facebook. uh, If you go on Facebook and look up my company, Blue Means Pregnant Films, um, there's links to my work. There's ways you can direct contact me. There's there's a a Scenester TV did a a whole documentary on my company a couple of years ago. You could see our whole history. It's a lot of, a lot of really good artists, a lot of really good people that I've been working with for 15 years now. And, and it's a really, it's a really uh, been a great journey and I would love for you all to uh, be a part of it. Fantastic. Well, Hey, again, thanks for being here and hoping to do it again soon. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said, SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe Black. Um, I hope you actually are someone who is crazy enough to have listened to two full episodes on Serenity. If you did, you're my kind of person. Um, I had so much fun talking about this movie. Uh, <laughs> I guess that brings us to the end. I wouldn't imagine we'll do a third one, although you never freaking know. So with that being said, this Friday, we got another episode coming up. It's actually a Breaking Apart episode. And then the following week, we've got our Oscars predictions special episode. And then what do we got? How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And then uh, we got Overlord coming up. We got a bunch of other movies coming up. So 
As always, please make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. That would be awesome. And follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. That's it for now. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. And I really enjoy doing this show for you guys. And uh, I'm planning on a whole bunch more episodes in the coming months. So you will be hearing a lot from us. And while I'm doing that, I'm also working on new music. But right now, I'm going to uh, play us out with a track from my free album, Another Sky, which is available on my band camp. And this track is called The Golden Road. I don't think I've ever played this one on the show before, so I figured it would be a good fit. Another Serenity-style track. It would fit in that movie, I think. (laughs) I'd love to score a movie like this. But anyway, uh, enjoy the music, and we'll be back really soon with a whole bunch more episodes.
and all points west. 